to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. It's hard to be a diamond in a rhinestone world. And Dale Hummel. George, for another four years. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel, along with co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan, I'm excited about our current events as usual, but I'm the most excited about something you shared just a little bit with me that I'm looking forward to hearing the entire story mm. of one of your, your events this weekend. I, I do take a slight bit of pleasure in your pain. Well, it was a quite an eventful weekend for me. I was judging two shows in Texas, but... Uh, Stayed in Fort Worth on Saturday night because everyone knows that I like the nightlife of it all. And bars are back open in Texas since I was going to explore some of that. Show was only about an hour and a half away from downtown Fort Worth. So get up early, get ready, get on the Escalade. And I want to preface this by like saying, first off, when I tell this story, this car is not old. It is a 2016 model. Yes, it has over 100,000 miles on it, but I mean, it's not, you know, at 360. It has never been in a major wreck or collision. It was bought new. So, I mean, this is not something that should happen, but it does. So we're driving on along and it's, you know, about to change time. So it's at six o'clock. It's still really dark in the morning. And uh, I'm on I-20, and for those of you that are not from Texas, don't realize that I-20 runs east and west across our great state and is very traffic highway. I was in the fast lane. Shocking. I'm not going to say what, what speed. What speed were you at? Do you think, do you recall? It, it it was probably close to 90. But anyway, but it's it's 85 and then on, on 20 there, right? That's the speed limit. No, 75 speed oh, limit. Okay. And out of nowhere, I lose power steering, brakes, and headlights, which I'm going to be honest with y'all. I didn't realize I had lost the power steering and the brakes, but the headlights go out. And so that made me whatever. And so then I tried to stare and not no brake. And so, yeah, this was a wreck. And of course, I'm in the fast <laughs> lane. And then I have to try to get across these lanes of traffic to the shoulder. And, um, I don't know if you've ever been in a vehicle where you've lost your steering capabilities. It's like, I can't even tell you the amount of... So you, you, you have steering, you just don't have power. Right. I can't tell you the amount of force that you have to use to try to move. And it was wild. Wild. And then I don't have any brakes, so I can't slow down. Uh, uh, it was a hot, hot-ass mess. Well, I get over on the shoulder, and the first thing I do is I call. I, I turn the turn the car off first, and then try to start back up, and it won't start up. But so now nothing's working. Like <laughs> it's just completely screwed. And so, no headlights, nothing coming on, zero. No headlights. Car won't turn over. I have no brakes, no steering, no nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the window would go up and down. But it when it, it was very, very slow. The locks worked, and that was kind of it. <laughs> but anyway, so first thing I did is I called the show and told them what the deal was. And so they sent someone to come get me. 
So the next thing I do is I call AAA and I'm explaining to them the situation where the car is and that I have to leave and I'm just going to put the keys in the gas tank, but this is where it is. Come get it. Tow it somewhere. So that's all done. Well, then after that, I decide to call Dale's favorite person, Cherie, and Daddy James. Well, at this time, it was probably a little closer to seven, maybe after seven. My parents have a very active social life, and um, I'm sure they were at a party on Saturday night. I'm going to say, because it took me three times to get anybody to answer the phone, they were most definitely still asleep and maybe a little hungover, but, so I start explaining to them what thing is, and I don't need them to do anything for me, but, like, I just need to explain the situation. Long story short, I'm... On the side of the highway, it's dark. These semis are going past me at, like, 90 miles an hour. So every time one does, like, the little Escalade will rock back and forth. And my parents decided that what I needed to do was to get out on the highway, pop the hood, and look at the deal because they thought the fan belt broke. Okay, people, if you don't know me, you've at least seen me, clearly I am not. MacGyver the mechanic. And first off, I could have got the hood up. I do want to say that. I could have got the hood pop. You could have. I how, could have. How would, you get, how would you get the hood up? Where do you start? Well, there's this little latch thingy in the car, and then you have to go around to the front of the car, and there's this little, like, lever or hitch or whatever. Very good. You're, you're, you're halfway there. And then you pull the hood up. So, I mean, that, that part I could have done. I would not know what a fan belt was if it hit me in the face. And the other part was, in the most disturbing part, even if I knew what a fan belt was and could recognize that it was broken or busted or whatever, did they think I was going to pull a spare out of my purse and just fix this on the side of the highway? I think they just were curious what happened. That that's they're just wanting to know maybe what I, I I have a prediction on what happened. What you're explaining to me is very odd, and I, I have not heard this happening maybe before. Dale, you did not care. You weren't even concerned. No, I, I find humor in it. That that's my concern. That's my interest level, I should say. But I, I believe you mistakenly shut the car off as you were driving down the road. No, I did not shut my that car had, off. That's the only explanation. Down the road. That is the only explanation that it all just shuts off. When you got to the side of the road, was the car, was it the engine running or you just turned the key off? Yes, the engine. So the engine was still running with no power. No, no power steering, no brakes, no lights. What, what time did you get in the night before? Were you out or were you at Gay Hill? I was, no, I was in downtown Fort Worth and I took Uber. So I have an idea that, that maybe you still weren't thinking as clearly as you should that early in the morning. (laughs) Lack of sleep. Dale, they towed this son of a bitch to a Cadillac dealership, and they're still trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with that. So clearly, my lack of sleep was not have anything to do with this. But no. I have but. never heard something like that happen. I'm sure some of our listeners could maybe help us out on a Instagram or a Facebook message and, and give us some guidance. Have you have you heard from the dealership what this problem might be? I talked to them yesterday, and they were going to look into that. And what is your solution at this point? Oh, well, um, of course, since they they got me to the show, which I am still very proud of the fact that I was not late, even despite this (laughs) debacle. Still made it on time. Yeah, exactly. They got me back to my hotel in Fort Worth. So yesterday, 
And the whole thing is, I have a 2021 Escalade ordered, but I want this certain color, and they don't have that color in may, yet. May I ask what color this would be? Dark blue moon metallic. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that color in. But now, since the one is obviously a little messed up, and I always have to have a vehicle, they did have one at Sewell Cadillac in Dallas, a dark blue moon metallic one. But it's what they call an ESV, and so it's a larger version of the Escalade. Would that be just like another foot of luggage space? Well, see, that was kind of what I was thinking. I was like, you know, this may not be bad. So I go there yesterday, and like when you're looking at these vehicles, they d- the size difference doesn't look that much. Little car dealer salesman, he's like, would you like to test drive it? Because it is the color and all that. I'm like, Sure. We all know that I am extremely challenged when it comes to operating a motor vehicle. Fun. I didn't even make it onto the highway. I did a couple laps in this thing. I felt like I was driving a cruise ship. And I knew this was not going to work because I promise you, I don't think I could have parked that bus in the middle of an open parking lot, much less anywhere else. And so, which, that's fine. And I was explaining to the little man that, yeah, this is going to work. And he was like, well, what is like, no. I said, dude, your life is in danger as it is. You don't want me to go on the highway with this, okay? Like, we just don't need to do this. I said, but do you mind if I take some snaps? Because this is really funny. <laughs> While you're driving in the parking lot. Yes, exactly. And he, he wouldn't let me. I thought it was very rude. I tried to explain to him I had a following, and he didn't care. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't something he even wanted to no. Discuss. No. I don't, I don't blame him. So I didn't get to snap it, but I have a loaner, and I will be, I, I mean, mine is ordered. My new one is ordered. I don't know what the fate of the old one is, uh, but we were trading it in anyway. Probably the trade-in value has gone down a little bit after this incident, but anyway, it'll be fine. I, I'm just curious what, when they explain to you what the problem was, I, I would like to, I'd like you to report. Um, yes, Dale. I will definitely give you a follow-up. That, that's the best current events that I've heard in a long time. I, I enjoy those stories very much. Thank you, Dale. I'm glad you enjoyed them. You know, once, once this episode drops, we're three days away from Election Day. You are correct. Four days. Three, four days. Somewhere in there. I, even though the election, we've had, what, 60 million votes already cast? 62. 62. So I, I don't know when Election Day is anymore. It's confusing to me. You don't know when Election Day is? No, I, I think it's 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 no longer an election day. It's a election 60, 70 day period, whatever whenever they first allow you to start. No, it's two voting. years. But anyway, two <laughs> years. Yeah. Approximately. Uh early voting is taking place, sixty two million votes, mail in ballots, everything's going along. It's been swimmingly. So I mean we'll see. But I mean it is record, record turnout. And there is an electoral pathway for Trump to victory. There is a pathway. We just hope we can stay on that path and it pulls through. There's multiple pathways. Kind of like the yellow brick road. You're the most pessimistic person I've Oh, my God. You're the most pessimistic person I know. But anyway. Oh, I can. I concern myself with this. I lose sleep over it. It's, it's not good. It'll be good once this is over. Trump wins. We're done. It has to happen that way. My world relies on it. Okay. I'm going to challenge that theory right there because that's great. And I'm... Uh, of course, I'm all about Trump winning. You do realize the next election starts almost a year after Trump is in office, and who's who's next? Who's next? Who's the Republicans going to run? Republicans. Next? Do you do you want me to tell you why it, 
you're not going to like this. If Joe Biden wins, that means that they'll likely take over the Senate. They will hold the House. Joe Biden and Kamala will stack the Supreme Court, and they will turn our direction of socialism, where we have over 50% of the voting population on a handout of some sort, along with being able to change all the rules, eliminate the Electoral College, bring in Puerto Rico and D.C. to gain a further advantage in the Senate, they can do just about anything they want within the constitutional boundaries, and there's gray areas there that there's nobody to challenge them. My fear, and you can call me pessimistic, negative, I don't care what you call me, but I think the seriousness of it is if they gain that much power with the extreme left that Joe has surrounded himself with, and the likelihood of him being voted incompetent and Miss Harris taking over the presidency, I don't think they're afraid to push the boundaries through the gray, do whatever they want to make sure that they maintain control for as long as physically possible. And I'm going to go on record right now, no matter how upset those of us on the conservative side are, that four years from now, if Joe Biden wins the White House and the Senate flips, they're going to have it manipulated to the point where I don't think we can overcome it. That is my case. Okay. You do realize that you just went on a tirade and completely did not answer my question whatsoever at all. Ask it again. I'll try one more time. I said the next election starts one year after this. If Trump wins, who comes after Trump? And you went into some dark, dismal, god-awful, everything's going to change. We're going to be in communist China. (laughs) I tried to explain it doesn't matter, even though there's some great ones coming up. Great ones. It does matter. It always matters who's next. No, because they're going to change the rules of the game. And if you're not on the even playing field, you get beat. You get beat. Think about it. If Trump wins, they're not changing the rules of the game. No, if Trump wins, everything's great. What part of my question, if Trump wins, who comes next? If Trump doesn't win is the direction I took it. Exactly. I don't remember the if Trump wins part. (laughs) Because, again, you would. Oh, my Lord. It did not fit into my world and what I was wanting to explain. Bingo. But there you go. So, yep. Okay, that's it. So, who? You answer. Please answer your own question. If Trump wins, who's. I think if Trump wins, there's a lot of. I mean, it's. The life is good for a long time. If Trump wins, it can't be one of his kids. I know, but I, I think Don Jr.'s antsy. Oh, he's um, already got banners. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know. I think I think there gotta be a little break. And I'm not saying that his children are not capable and whatever I think Don Jr. would be the least capable of the three, but <laughs> that's just me. He might he might have some baggage. Uh well no, I just think that if you go back and you look at Trump, when he was Don Jr.'s age, he is not nearly as polarizing as Don Jr. is. So I would think that probably the best option would be Ivanka, but I would think that they would need a little break. Now, I'm going to say... What if the economy and everything, we get rid of the China virus and everything is going better than what it was prior to to COVID hitting, which is going to be difficult to do? Then maybe, maybe they would want a Trump. They might. Offspring. I would... If Trump loses, I have no doubt a Trump child will run again. Because there's nobody, they would have to go that direction because there is nobody that could even come close to getting that type of enthusiasm. Unless Trump ran again himself, which he could. He's getting older. I mean, he would be quite, I mean, yeah. But I mean, I'm saying legally he could run again. But I would think that it would be. How many times has Sleepy Joe ran? This is his fourth, I think. But anyway. (laughs) A lot. Plenty. A lot. 
A lot. No, so so I I don't know. I I, I do believe that COVID is is playing to Biden's advantage, even though he he keeps telling us that mask mandate and he can open things up and keep everybody safe. He has this magic wand that's going to make the virus go away and open everything up and it's all going to be beautiful where when you actually pin him down, I don't think there's anything he's doing beyond mentioning the mask mandate that Trump hasn't already done. So when we have positive numbers at all-time highs, and this is numbers, and, and remember, I don't think I have to remind our listening public that we're testing more than ever. But the upside to that is we're having fewer percentage, a lower percentage of serious cases and hospitalizations relative to the positive number. It's, it's, it's simple to me. There's one way to beat the virus, and history proves this as such both in the human and animal world. The veterinarians that I talked about early on in this pandemic, if we'd have turned it over to them, they continue to say herd immunity, whether it's through vaccinations or natural exposure, is the only way to end a virus. That is it. It's that simple. We look at Sweden. We look at other European countries that have done things much differently. This extreme lockdown does absolutely nothing other than prolong the virus in the environment. And we've talked about this so many times. It comes down to herd immunity. We have to get to 50 to 60%. We're not far from a vaccine. But in the process, if we could bring our young, our school-aged children, anybody under the age of 50 that doesn't have a secondary health issue, they need to be out. They need to be exposed, be asymptomatic, mild symptoms. There are going to be some that, that we don't realize have other health issues, and that, that is very, very unfortunate. But if we, we try to step back and take emotions away from it, if we're going to lessen the death toll, we need to shorten the time this virus is in our environment, and herd immunity is the only way to do that. Does that mean people are going to lose their lives? Yes. But it is my prediction and hope that it would be fewer people than on the path that we're going through lockdowns and, and further lockdowns. And, and it just, I, I think we need to open our mind up and use some common sense. There's one way to, to get rid of a virus, and, and that's it. I, I, I wish we could go that way. I, I believe Trump has honestly, in hindsight, probably balanced the reopenings, balanced the lockdowns. I think he's done a, a great job on it. He hasn't explained himself as well. And anytime there's, there's something that affects people personally on this level, it's it's very easy for somebody on the outside like Sleepy Joe to take advantage of it, and he's he's doing the best he can at it. Well, the only thing that you're going to hear from now till November 3rd is Rona, 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 because that's all they can go with. That's the only issue that Biden has any traction on. Again, it's not him saying what he's going to do differently and how he's going to fix it, but it's the big, biggest negative against Trump, so... They're going to push it hard and fast because they know they're losing momentum. They know the polls are tightening and they know that they're in a heap of trouble. So now we're going to exploit Rona for everything it's worth. But again, then they are politicizing it to the most. If you will like listen at all to any of the Trump campaign or surrogates, Kelly McElnay today, they go with facts, or at least she did. 6% of the hospital beds being used in America are Rona patients. 6%. That is not very much. 6%. So there you go. And and I'm okay if we were to lock down for two weeks initially to flatten the curve so we didn't overwhelm the hospitals. It didn't work. I'm good. No, and, I, and, I, and I'm good with that theory. Great. But that was supposed to be to flatten the curve. And then once we get past this, let's open up and, and make sure we don't hit that threshold and 
I don't know. It's very frustrating to me because I believe there's lack of common sense being implemented. I personally believe, and Trump has hit on this a little bit over the course of all this nonsense, but the cure can't be worse than the disease. And I'm telling you, there are going to be long-term lasting mental and physical health effects on a great deal of this nation because of the lockdowns, because of what happened to the economy, because of those lockdowns, and we haven't even started to see that part of it yet. No, and that, that information is going to take a long time to come out, but we're, we're going to feel it far before, before you see it statistically. And it's, it's overwhelming. Well, that was depressing, and you love depressing, so we're going to talk about something. Do you want to talk about the super spreader event at the White House last night? Uh, you just, I hate your liberal tendencies. I thought maybe we'd just get you wound up a little bit on that. I cannot stand it when your liberal tendencies come out. I thought it was amazing. Amy Coney Barrett got approved, voted, passed in the Senate, and they, she took the oath last night at the White House. And yes, still, they were socially distanced and everybody had a mask on for the most part. They did social distance and mask up more than, than what they've done in the past, but it was beautiful. I thought her speech was articulate, on point, and the biggest middle finger to the Democrats, that she, the, the most polite and well-articulated middle finger to the Democrats that you could ever ask for. Absolutely brilliant. And so I am excited that she is on there. If you listen to Dale, he says it doesn't matter because they're going to take her off and then they're going to put 15 if, liberals on there. And so, but no, anyway, not 15, they will go to 13. 13. Now, right now, I am very happy and I am glad that she got confirmed. And I mean, I think the Supreme Court is vitally important. Do not get me wrong. But of all those people on there, I think that she. Has because you know Chief Justice Roberts is getting up there. He's been there a while. I think if you know the world doesn't come to an end like Dale, I think you could be looking at your first woman Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. I would agree with that. I would agree. I don't know what happens once if if Joe would be elected and they stack the court. I don't. I don't know how that 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 changes everything. And and it's a catastrophe, and I hope they wake up and don't do it if they do win. But let's let's go more positive. They're not going to take over the White House. They're not going to flip the Senate, and life will be good. But then we have we had more riots last night in Philadelphia. Did you hear about that? That's great. I did. I, I saw the video. It appeared as though a black gentleman was coming at police with a knife. Yes, and they shot him. Yes, they did. And I, I made a comment that maybe they could have shot him in the knee. And I, I again said your liberal tendencies are coming out. Which, no, no. Okay, here's my thing. Shoot him in the knee, but the crazy people standing on their lawn with their assault rifle waving at people that are walking down the street, that is perfectly fine. But the armed man with the knife coming at the police, shoot him in the knee. I think it would have caused less civil unrest. And now you have to realize I'm very consistent with this. If I see somebody shoplifting or robbing something, going out the door, I believe they, they have the right to shoot him in the knee. I think you could shoot somebody in the knee for most anything. Most it seems, anything. It would be, it would be, a, it would be a solution. It'll be fine. Now those, those, those people that approach the home in St. Louis, if they were to step onto their property, guess what? Shoot him in the knee. Yes, it's the answer to everything. This is Dale's answer for everything. 
Hashtag shoot him in the knee. Well, that's good. Now, I, I again, if he's coming at them with a knife, I know that's not maybe what they're trained to do. We need to stop them. We we, we don't do things like that. So, in in practicality, I don't know that it would would have been you would have been able to implement it. But in hindsight, it would have caused less civil unrest. Oh, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't if you. Don't kill somebody. There's going to be a little less civil unrest there now. Yeah. And right. I am not in that position like that police officer or the police officers with somebody coming at me with a knife. So you you can't even put yourself in their shoes. So with that said, I I, I it'll be I think we just need to see what comes out and and let all the information come forward. And you don't even know what transpired prior to this. It it it's hard to say. No, you don't know any of that. Of course, people just react. They don't. Let any of that important information they, come they out. Did they did react, just, didn't they? they? They just react. So did they ran are. over a police officer? Oh yes, they ran over, but he did not die. Uh, he's got broken s- leg. Yeah, bad injuries, but he didn't. Now die, the, but, yeah. the person driving the vehicle as they were driving towards a police officer. I'm not in favor of shooting in the knee because I think it'd be difficult to hit their knee. But take them out. <laughs> okay, so you can just shoot them wherever. Yes. So, see. Absolutely. If you go with your theory of shooting the knee, you probably should have shot the tires on the truck that ran over the police officer. But again, no, no, no. somebody no. that's intentionally trying to run down a police officer. Nope. I, I don't want to waste the time and the money, our tax dollars to prosecute something like that. Okay. Just take that person out completely. Yeah. Gone. We could save a lot of time and money if we, if we took that approach more often. I want to talk about your brother, Joe, for just a few seconds, because I don't want to talk about Joe. I have to state this, and I know that we've had a whole we had a podcast earlier this week that talked about the election, whatever. But it still highly irritates me that this man just thinks that he can sit at home and not campaign and become the next president of the United States. But he's frighteningly close to frighteningly close to accomplishing it. Is the is the the scariest part of it all? But the flip side of that is, I get why he doesn't want to campaign because uh, the last couple of events hasn't gone real well for him. Uh, most of his are like little drive-in deals where you sit in your car, and he had like 237 cars that won, where Trump's smallest rally, I think, has been like 15,000 people. And then he's got your other uncle, Barack, out there on the campaign trail, and he had a whopping 47 people at a rally for him. That, that was great. And earlier in the week... Trump was making three stops in Pennsylvania in one day. And even some of your Democratic liberal mainstream media people were kind of bashing on old Joe that he wasn't going to do anything on Monday at all. So he drove 15 miles so he could be in a new state. And he was in Pennsylvania and he stood on the street corner and gave a little speech to reporters and then took three questions. <laughs> he had a big day. It was a lot. It is frustrating. It is very, very frustrating. And let's hope that next week takes care of these issues. It really, really annoys me and irritates me. And like, I don't, uh, I don't, oh, I, I get. Let's, let's, let's go on to a different topic. You're, yeah. You're go over oh the my God. Mm. We have a positive topic that we can go to. We're going to talk about the balance of information. We either have an overload or we're starving for it in the show world. And we have a lot of show families out there that need and want and desire information. 
once they start getting information, sometimes it's conflicting. Other show families can't seem to find any information. So there's there's a lot of differences out there. And we, we're going to take just a little while today. And I apologize. We went just a touch longer in current events than usual. But I think it's probably appropriate with the election here next week. So our topic is trying to address, Ryan, where do we get the information? Is there an overabundance of it sometimes? Is there not enough out there, not enough available? Where, where do we even start on it? But I think maybe we should take into account the information source. And is there motivation behind that to get that, that information out there? It's, it's, it's interesting to me because there is a lot of variation, especially from one region of the country to another. This is going to be the shortest podcast in the history of the world. Just come here. I will <laughs> just, give you all the information you need. That's it. This, just, this just, just one text, stop call, shop snap. right here. Boom, Thank done. you. Y'all have a nice week. We'll see y'all after the election. Goodbye. <laughs> and you know what? They'd be better off for it. We'd have one, <laughs> one source of information. There's no controversy, no confusions, none of those things. Let's, let's look at, at Texas versus Illinois, the North versus the South in terms of extension agents and ag teachers. And I'm not saying there's not extension agents here in the North or ag teachers that aren't involved in the livestock projects, but it's far less. And it's not even expected in, in, as far as a county extension agent in this part of the country where, Ryan, tell me if I'm wrong. and I'm not maybe as familiar as obviously you would be, but the county extension agents in Texas, I'm not saying that they're, they're required, but they're, they're pretty well expected to assist and, and help with these kind of projects, are they not? I think that in our state, a great deal of the extension and ag teachers, extension agents and ag teachers are very involved in terms of junior livestock projects with the youth that they are around, whether it's at the school level or at the county level. And I don't, I think a lot of it is not because, you know, that is something in their jobs description that that is made to do or whatever. But I think a lot of people in this state that apply for those jobs and go after those jobs are people that grew up in this, enjoyed it, and that is a way for them to stay involved. And so that is why you know, they are involved in those things. And you see a lot of them at all the uh, at jackpot shows, major shows, et cetera. And so I do think that we have probably is, I mean, I think Oklahoma's a little that way too, but uh, I would say that those two states are probably at the top of that. And again, I don't think it's because they're forced to. I think it's something that those people that seek out those positions or that line of employment enjoy. I, I think that's an, a perfect ex- explanation of it. I never really thought that deep about it, but it makes perfect sense. And, and that's why we see some of the variation. But when they're coming from that kind of background, they're, they're a great source of information for a lot of those young people that are just getting started or even, even more advanced, depending on what that extension agent or ag teacher's background is or their area of expertise, but certainly can be capitalized upon by, by a lot of the youth that, that are out there. And not only in Texas, but you'll, you'll see it in some of the other states as well. But we see far less extension agents at the county level that have that similar background that Ryan explained. And, and we just, it's, it's really distance away from the livestock community. No matter where you are, I think it just depends on who is that extension agent, that ag teacher. But I think we are blessed in Texas to have a higher percentage of ones that are informed and are active. And, but again, that's not the, and you know, if that was what everybody in the junior livestock industry, that was their only source of information and their only 
way that they could gain knowledge, then we'd probably be in trouble. But it's not. And so... No, and, and let's let's talk about some of the other ones. So we have our, our extension agents and ag teachers out there that are that are great sources of, of information, depending on what their interest area is. What about the breeder where you're purchasing the animals from? Do you think there's one species that maybe gives out more information or does more to assist those buyers, or you think it's all on individual basis? What about that direction? I guess is that a source to lean upon? We've brushed on this topic a little bit in earlier podcasts. I know now. That with online sales and, you know, all we have so many capable brokers in terms of people that, you know, they'll go out, they'll hunt them down, bring them to one house so you, people have more selection from all that stuff. I still think that, you know, there is a great deal of good and value. And if you have the time and the capability of buying from a breeder, then that's something that you should look into because, There is no doubt that if the person has bred those animals, they're going to know more background about the siren dams, the genetics and all that. And that's very, very valuable information in a lot of ways, not only in terms of, you know, what that animal would be worth as a breeding piece, but also how those genetics feed in terms of show ring animals, whether it's breeding or market, how they grow you know, problem areas to look out for. And so I think breeders have a, are a wonderful source of information for people that buy directly from them. And again, it's not possible for everybody. And that's why I do think we have so many brokers in the different industries and they do a great job too, because as, as valuable as knowledge about a certain set of genetics from a breeder is, general knowledge in terms of feeding, show presentation and preparation and, you know, day-to-day stuff is just as valuable. So there, there's positive aspects any which way you want to go. No, I, I agree. And I, I think that if you think about the motivation behind those that are trying to get information to you, whether it's a breeder or the broker, both of those want you to succeed. It's going to better their business program if those exhibitors succeed. So they're going to try to get you the best information possible. Are they always going to be correct? Maybe not. But both the breeder and that broker, if you're buying from either one of them, if they have the time to do so, they're going to try to to take you on a path that that leads to success because it benefits them. So you could look at it selfishly. Any direction you want to look at it, you would assume you're going to get good advice because of the motivation behind the brokers and the breeders for you to succeed. In terms of that and talking about that, like you said, they all want you to succeed, not, not just because they want your kid to be successful, but also it looks good for them. And those are both very, very good attributes to do. And we're going to talk about other ones in terms of their camps and all kinds of stuff that you can send your kids to or adults can take part of and, you know, learn stuff from there. But I guess uh, no matter what it is that or what alley or pathway that you go down, I think the important thing in all this is is when you're feeling this out and trying to assess these situations, you know, take a little bit from everybody. But again, you've got to get comfortable and decide with somebody or a small group of people that you're going to stick to. If that, I mean, we can get, it's kind of like social media and all this other stuff. You can get so many different people firing stuff at you that 
if you try to take it all in and implement everything, you're probably going to be self-destructive. That is that is perfect explanation, Ryan. I'm glad you you took us down that path because I can I can share some personal experiences as a breeder. We we try to give out as much information as we we physically can. I often tell buyers we'll we'll help you as as little or as much as as you could possibly want. And I'm not saying that all of our feeding and management uh, protocols are exactly the best or or there's not better ones out there. But if you have a family that's buying from multiple different breeders and they're getting information from all those breeders and how they want those fed, what supplements they're using, how they want to exercise those animals, what shows maybe uh, fit the best in terms of a certain judge. So many different factors that come into play. And guess what? There's very few people, whether it's a breeder or broker, that are going to agree the same on what supplements to use, what feed to use, how to manage these livestock. And all of a sudden, if you're bombarded with all these different protocols, you're really second guessing everything and, and you're not sure what direction to go. Assumably the breeder of that specific animal is probably going to have the best idea. But again, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that there's not people out there that can manage our genetics from home livestock, maybe even better than, than what we do. So you've got to keep open-minded, but I think that's where we come into that information overload and people get very, very confused because they've been told for this particular, from this particular breeder or broker, we're going to do ABC. I may come in and it's totally different. And, and I think I am probably an outlier because we don't push a lot of different supplements and we, we stay a little more to the basics and really hitting the detail and covering the basics extremely well, where others maybe have a, a certain protocol. We're going to use this supplement 12 hours before showtime. Another thing, we give them 10 hours before showtime. And it comes down to us. I, I look at it a different way that the only thing we're going to change in that last little bit is, is fill. And we're trying to superhydrate, and that muscle hydration is going to make a big difference. So we're going to put as much fluids into the muscle that we possibly can. But there's there's a lot of different ways of doing that, and it does become confusing. So I, I agree with Ryan. I think maybe search out those that have had success that you feel comfortable with. That may be your ag teacher. It may be a breeder. It may be a broker. It may be a feed sales rep. It may be another family member. There's a lot of different ways. Maybe something you learned in a show camp. But whatever program you decide, think about it from a common sense perspective. Think about it, if you can, from a science perspective. Uh, I remember, and I'm, I probably shouldn't go down this path, but I, I tend to do these things. There used to be a product out there, and it's probably still there, jowl burner, that would take the fat off the jowl of a pig and only in that area, not take fat off anywhere else. I call bullshit. That's That's not even remotely possible. We don't metabolize fat cells that way. The body doesn't. We, do, we don't work that way. So the more things a supplement claims they can do or be very specific on something they're going to do, I, I tend to question it and I want to see the science. I want to understand metabolically how that's working. So back to what Ryan, Ryan had said, we, we need to find someone that you trust and try not to get an overload. And, and we have the other extreme where people just can't get any information. So it is difficult. We either have overload or we don't have any, and, and finding that correct balance is, is sometimes difficult. What do you think about, and, and, and I think in, in from what I'm looking at from the outside, Ryan, in the swine industry, there's a lot of guidance and advice coming from, from some of the feed reps. Oh, yeah. I, I think that there's a good base of knowledge there, and I think they do an excellent job. And again, I think that's kind of a thing uh, that – Probably because that industry and that little niche market is something that is really, really competitive. And 
just simply put, it hog feed's more expensive than other livestock feeds. Depend. I mean, I'm not saying per bag, and it probably is per bag, but the amount that you have to feed and stuff like that, it's just not. Not to mention that the 25 supplements you have in your cart to feed every day, (laughs) right? And so I think that those, you know, those feed reps, because that that part is so competitive, they've had to make themselves you know, more accessible and in that area. And and that's, again, that's kind of like, you know, competition is good in those attributes because you get that little added bit of stuff right there from them. And so, yeah, they're doing a real good job in it. But again, I think it's kind of the, the competitiveness of that market has made it that way, but it is and a other, positive plus. Other than your statement about accessibility and a feed rep being very contradictory, they're very difficult to get a hold of sometimes, but there are there are some good ones out there that I know they really spend a lot of time guiding those families that are that are purchasing feed from that particular company. And for some reason, it seems to be the feed reps in the swine industry that are that are doing more of that than what we see in the sheep, the goats, or the cattle. And it's yeah. just evolved that way for for some of the same reasons that that Ryan has. If you have, if you're fortunate to be in a situation where maybe parent or an uncle or an aunt or or somebody in your family or a relative has had a lot of success in that area and you decide you want to get into it, that works out as a, as a great source of, of guidance. And you have that one stable factor kind of, kind of pushing you in a, in a certain direction. What about others in your show, show circle, Ryan, if you, you have a, a group of people that you kind of travel with and hang out at the shows, what about, what about getting information from them? I see that a lot in Texas. There's a, and I, I'm not referring to them as clicks in a negative way, but there's a, like several different factions that a whole bunch of families get together. They haul to those major shows together. And this is in every species. And, you know, they kind of all help each other out and guide each other. And so, you know, that works really well. In in those clicks or factions, there's normally one dominant person that's kind of, you know, calling the shots or gives more of the information. And, you know, has a leadership role and that's good. And I think the biggest thing, unless you're in that percentage that Dale says that starve for information and can't get any, or you feel like you can't get any or haven't found ways to get some, I think that that section of the population that we're talking about, that they all haul together, they all go together, they all help each other. I think the biggest plus in that is that they're all working towards a common goal and that there is kind of one person that pretty much is in charge. And I guess for me, like I said earlier, I think if you try to take all this stuff from so many different peoples, you're going to end up self-destructing because the way one man or woman does it against the other group, whatever, some of that stuff's going to contradict. Some of it's going to wash each other out. And I think you're going to get a whole note nowhere. Like for instance, in terms of what I did in brokering stuff, every family, I would tell them in terms of feed, get whatever show feed you can get that will be the freshest and the most acceptable to you. Because in terms of cattle feed, I don't think there's that much difference in between them. But I wanted it fresh and you know easy access to it at all times. And so that was what I did. I would help them individually on feeding the different ones when we would get to the shows, you know, I'm not a dictator, but I would say, you know, I think this one needs this, this, and this. 
and this is how I think we should accomplish it. Most of them would listen, but there would be times, not only at shows, but also during the feeding period, go to check on that one, see that one at a show, whatever, and you know when they're not doing what you tell them to, or they're doing something else, because it's obvious in how that animal looks, because... (laughs) I know what I told them to do and what I and thought I should imagine, happen. I can't imagine you don't call them out, Ryan. Oh, yeah. No, I do. But anyway, I mean, I know and I know what happens when you do that. And so when that's not happening, it's real obvious that they are decided to go a different path. Somebody else told them to do something different. They tried all that. And again, it's their animal. They can do whatever. But you got to communicate that with whoever that supposedly leader or person in charge is. So, like, you don't have the self-destructive stuff that I'm saying happens. And then I think this doesn't only go with feeding or show preparation or fitting. I think it goes the same with showmanship. And now this, this part, I I am a dictator about. When we go to the – and, again, a lot of people don't think that you should give signals or look – People outside the ring and all that, and I'm gonna tell you, I've told y'all from the beginning I'm not a hypocrite. That's just bullshit. I still to this day, when I am showing in an open show, I look to somebody outside the ring to make sure that it's right. I think I've got it right. I'm pretty much sure I know I got it right. But all I need is for you to either give me a, you know, a head shake as yes or shake me off no, and I'll figure it out. You don't have to me exactly how to do it but i'll get it done and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but where i am as dictator is i will tell every small child when we go up here to the ring you listen to me and only to me everyone else does not matter they do not exist and i tell those people that they need to sit there be still and be quiet because a child cannot react to 13 people trying to tell them what to do at the same time I am the dictator. You will listen to me when we get into the arena. <laughs> that is so accurate. So accurate and so real. You see it happen so many times. And Ryan and I enjoy disagreeing. But I'm going to tell you what. When Ryan talks about his advice for feeding and his advice on showmanship and he says he's not a dictator, he's lying. <laughs> because I, I follow a similar path. I tell people you can use our protocols. You don't have to use our protocols. But If you decide to jump on board and you want my advice on a daily basis or several times a week and you want that extra help with the show, I do expect things done a very specific way. And when you have other people that maybe have have helped you coach from the outside in in, in terms of getting that animal set up in the ring, I understand that. But when it comes time for that big show and we need, and, and Ryan or I are present or another breeder there, one person needs to be doing that, just as Ryan explained, because it gets so darn confusing. And and I can assure you that we're just as invested. When I have clients out there to show, if they do well, I, I feel as good as I would if one of my children had done well. But if they do not do as well, I take it very personal that that I need to do more or we need to do more to make sure that family has even a better experience if they're putting all the time and effort into it. And I'm I'm kind of talking in circles here, but Ryan's comment about I want to know what feed you can get available, consistent, that's fresh. I don't know. There, there are some differences in feeds, okay? But for the most part, our reputable, popular feed companies 
they're all going to have a a feed out there that's that's within that window of acceptability. There are some differences in palatability that will affect feed intake. So we need to look at that. But a lot of that comes down to to just fresh and consistent as well. So we're going into the different areas for information. And Ryan's kind of already touched a little bit on feeding and showmanship. And everybody's going to have different ways. There's no one correct direction to the backdrop. There's many ways to get there. But sometimes you have to decide what what path I'm going to follow. And if you jump from one person's advice to another person's advice to a third person's advice, all in a matter of, of two or three months leading up to that targeted show, that probably does not work real well. So try to decide where where the, the information source is that you want to follow and, and kind of stick with that protocol because sometimes it's it's a longer term protocol than what you're not going to see just because you implemented what they would like you to do a few days later, everything looking perfect. Sometimes it takes time. And, and with that, think about the, the, the showmanship advice. That's, that's maybe the breeder's going to, going to offer that. Maybe the broker, maybe it's something you learned in a showmanship camp. Maybe it's your ag teacher. Maybe it's a parent. There's a lot of different places that that can come from, but I strongly suggest find somebody that's worked with those that have succeeded or had success themselves. That might be the best direction to go on the showmanship side, the feeding side, Ryan, we're, 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 I mean, we can, we can talk about all the same areas where you can get advice, but, but it's important. I mean, you need to, you need to follow a plan and, and, and go down a path that, that hopefully takes you as close as you can. And every animal is going to need fed just a little bit different. I wish there was just a, a absolute protocol. Here's how you feed a steer, but it just doesn't work that way. That, that's an excellent point to bring up. And I think one that gets overlooked a lot because there is no, master plan on how to feed a goat, how to feed a sheep, how to feed a pig, or how to feed a steer. Yeah, there's some, there's a general consensus and thought process, but just like humans are different, animals are different, and you cannot feed every single one the same to get the maxed out, most desired results in that particular individual. And so that's something that's got to be taken into account for and understood from the beginning. And I think a lot of times, we just forget that. And, you know, it's as simple as in terms of cattle, I guess is the easiest example. A lot of times we feed multiple ones together in a pen because of space. And that's fine. I'm not saying that I suggest that, but I that has to happen. Well, a lot of times one's going to be dominant and beat the other one off of feed bunk and all that stuff. And if you don't catch things like that, don't look for things like that, you're not going to notice. And that goes back to the fact that they all can't be fed the same because animals are different. And it's not just that. I'm with Dale. I'm not a huge supplement person. I don't push those on people that feed for me. There are several that I think work. But again, not every animal needs the same set of supplements. That that should be an individual thing for everyone in all species. And it just shocks me the number of people that will feed supplement X, Y, and Z to every single one that they have in the barn. And I don't understand it. I think it goes back to that supplement X, Y, and Z might have been promoted as fed to the last champion. So we feel we have to, even though supplement X, Y, and Z you maybe could have pulled out of that protocol and they may have still won because of their genetics and, and other management practices. So there's 
there's a lot of things that that go into it. And I love that Ryan brings out and we'll group feed some of our, our show weathers. And sometimes that helps our intake with competition. And there's so many, many things that go into it. And I, I probably take it to an extreme. My wife is, has been feeding in, in the show barn when, when the kids are in school in the mornings. And she, she asked, well, where, where should we be? Or we discuss how much we're feeding each individual. And I will explain to her that we're feeding X amount. But within a couple of days, if I'm down there doing the feeding, guess what? I'll, I'll change that up in terms of how much I'm feeding and maybe a feed that's more palatable or less palatable to a certain degree. But that's constantly changing. It's almost an, a science or an art. And maybe I'm I'm taking it further than I need to, but I, I do feel that way that we need eyes on them. And when you're remote feeding and helping clients, that's the hardest part. When you're not watching how aggressive they go to the feed, you're not seeing them on a daily basis. It is it is much, much more difficult for me personally to give advice because I just don't believe that there's that one set standard that here's what we use. And that that's something, you know, and again, I'm not I was joking when I said all you have to do is come here and listen to us and <laughs> all your problems will be solved. But one thing that, again, I don't think many people get or is utilized enough because it sounds really stupid for the very start of the feeding period. And I'm going to tell you that we, I did it the majority of the period. You have to watch those animals eat and it's not real entertaining or whatever, but you have to understand, especially if you group feed, how aggressive they are, which ones aren't. Are they going to water first? Are they going to hay first? Are they going to feed first? Those are things that are going to be different in each animal. And those are things that can you can change and tweak to make that animal more efficient and better. But you have to watch and know what they're doing. And I, I think that gets lost a lot on people. No, completely agreed. There's a couple other areas we need to hit on in briefly. Uh, purchasing, Ryan, where do we get advice on where to go purchase? I mean, if somebody calls me up wanting to know where to buy a goat, well, I'm, I'm naturally going to want to sell them one of mine if it, if it fits their expectations. So you may have a, a feed rep that pushes a certain breeder. You may have an extension agent that, that sends you a, another direction for another set of genetics. Where, where do you get that information or maybe what, what should you be thinking at, about or looking at when you're trying to, to figure out where to purchase? Well, I think in, far, in terms of selling and purchasing, I think if you can't find information about that, then you're not looking hard enough because it's everywhere. I mean, whether it's these people are advertising on Facebook and Instagram and any every magazine online, where. Ever, I mean, they're putting it out there because they want those animals to get sold. So if you're telling me you just can't find one, <laughs> I'm going to say that you're not looking I, hard enough. I think it's the opposite. I think you're getting information right. overload. Where yeah. where do I go? Because yeah. there are so much right in my face. No, I, I that part, completely with you on that. And again, we've touched on this on several uh, topics in different episodes. But I go back to this. I think that you need to know. And you need to be very, very honest with yourself in terms of how much guidance and how much help that you need. If you are somebody that's been doing this for years and years and years and got a good grasp and been competitive, you can go buy from anywhere in the world. And you're going to because you're searching out those elite ones that can win the big level, big banner stuff. And, it, you know, and that's how you're going to roll and that's how you're going to do. 
if you were a person that is just starting or starting over, like you did it and now you want your kids to do it, been out of the game a little bit, or, you know, you're switching species, you used to feed hogs, now you're moving and transitioning into cattle, then your needs are going to be different than that person that we just talked about. If that's your situation, I say again, find a person that hopefully is close to you in terms of mileage. So therefore, either that person can come check on that animal or you can take that animal to them if something is not going exactly according to plan or you just want some reassurance. And number two, you have to be honest with that person that is in the selling position and say, hey, if I spend my money with you here on this animal, this is what I'm going to need from you. Can you do that for me? And explain out, I need help here, here, and here. Because not everybody's going to need help in the same areas. Some people need more help in feeding. Some people need more help in daily care. Some people just need help when you go to the show. But you got to be honest with those people, be upfront about it, about the situation, what you what your expectations are. That that is perfect, Ryan. And I, I could not agree anymore. And and just just being open and here's what I need from you. Can can you do this and 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 find that match? Um before we move on to our current events to kind of conclude our We already did our, current events, sir. I'm sorry, I'll move on to our question <laughs> and answer. I'll just call me Sleepy. I can do them again. I mean, sleepy, I got more stuff I can Joe. talk about. There there was a couple things I did forget that I wouldn't <laughs> mind bringing up. You have some some good stories and you get to stand probably in as many backdrops as anybody judging as many shows as you do. Tell me a little bit about about information overload at the backdrop for the young exhibit. <laughs> well, this kind of goes into the showmanship thing. I laugh all the time, and but backdrops are awkward, it, and they just are. And like nobody seems to bring this out. Backdrops are awkward. You've got twenty people crammed in a small confined space. You've got this animal that weighs hundreds of pounds that you're sometimes thousands of pounds that you're trying to get control of to make it look perfect. And you know, a lot of times people at the backdrops don't have anything to do with the animal or not have anything, you know, knowledge about it, but they're they're there just to support that kid, grandkid, whatever, and they're standing back there. And the, the ones that have won, they're trying to tell you, oh, well, this one won this, this, and this, and it's out of this and came from who and all that. I mean, like, it's just, they're awkward. I don't care what anybody says. It's awkward. And But the funniest thing for me is, You've got this child who's got this animal who's trying to get it set up to take that perfect picture. You've got five people standing behind him, all yelling at this person, move this, do this, loin that, whatever. (laughs) Then you've got a photographer yelling other information. And then you've got somebody standing up at the front with a pom-pom or a feed pan or whatever. I mean, it's just wild. It is chaotic. uh, We ought to be lucky we ever get a decent picture. Well, and that's what, that's the thing. You know, people talk about how long it takes and how whatever. Well, it takes on because everybody's trying to tell everybody what to do. Like, I mean, just be quiet, hush, let the photo, again, there is no way any of us that are standing behind that animal, for the most part, are going to be able to tell what that animal looks like behind that camera photographer's lens because that person is the one holding it up there so just you know and if you're trying to if 
the kid can't hear what the photographer's saying and you're trying to reiterate to them, that's fine. But everybody's trying to put their opinions in there. And, then, and you know, a lot of times uh, people have had a few alcoholic beverages. And so, I mean, it's just, backdrops are hot, awkward. It's a hot mess. It is. Mess. It is. It, and I, I literally, people make fun of me all the time because I, a lot of times in the pictures, because you don't know which one they're going to snap, I've got this look on my face. Well, I have no poker face. And so that was taken at the time when I was probably really ready just to throw in the towel and go. And so that's the one that gets published because it's the best one in the animal. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, that's, that's it's by far and away. It doesn't matter if I'm judging or I am helping someone. The backdrop situation is my least favorite aspect of the show whether i was the broker that one and we're trying to get the picture or the judge yeah i uh that's why i am so glad that we have now come to a point in this industry where we have all these ring shots because before then everybody wanted a backdrop picture and oh god you know and those those aren't always going to be the most flattering they're not good and then the lines were so much longer when that was the only option that you had you know for photos and so whoever came up with the ring shot idea, I don't know who Brilliant. that person is, but yeah, you deserve at a girl, at a boy, whatever, Medal of Honor, something. And that animal is probably better set up because you don't have 12 people trying to tell them what to do. Right. And the animal's going to look it's better because it's just that kid and that animal and there's not 12. I mean, like when we're taking cattle pictures, I can't tell you the number of times that everybody has to get up there and then they have to maneuver people around because a lot of times the cattle are black and all the guys dressed them are dressed in black and then you can't see the neck or you can't see the top line. I mean, uh, and so, yeah, of course the animal's going to look better if it's set up out there in the show stands with just the kid and the animal and not nearly as much to distract behind. So again, big fan of the ring shots. I love it. And, and Ryan's best single term for the backdrop, awkward. I'm, I'm with him. 100%. It is awkward. It just is what it is. Ryan, let's move on to question and answer. Not current events, question and answer. Sam Wilmoth text a question or Facebook message a question. The American Royal, along with most junior shows, do not, do not allow any form of fake hair in the fitting process of show animals. What are your thoughts on fake hair and how would you like the stock presented? I think we've, we've kind of touched on this before, but maybe reiterate where, where you're at, Ryan. I think that if you can do it and do it well, I'm all for it. And I, I, I don't, I, again, I'm the person that thinks there only needs to be one rule and the show needs to start at noon. So I am never going to, you know, be a fan of adding more rules because, and primarily is because I do not think the majority of time those rules can be enforced on every exhibitor at a large show. Now, Dale talked about the fact that the goat show that whoever was enforcing the no fake hair rule did an excellent job, and it can happen, and so kudos to them for that. But I am never going to be one to say, oh, yeah, add another rule in there. I like them, because I don't. Uh, I think the fake hair situation can pretty much take care of itself. Because if you have people like me judging, or and there's it's not just me. There's lots of people, and not not as many people will call out the situation on the mic, but when fake hair is done poorly— it distracts from the animal, and it's going to affect the placing of that animal. And I, 
whether they want to hear whether y'all want to hear that or not, it's truth. Somebody comes in there with a bad twine job and it's coming off or it looks like plaster or you know and it's just doesn't doesn't have come, that natural look. doesn't come anywhere close to whatever you're gonna not do well. That's just how it is. How and it so is. I think and again, I am more honest about how my mind works as a judge than probably should be or a lot are when that comes in and you see that for the first time you think uh somebody that's not real bright is behind <laughs> that's, this that's idea exactly right and again i know i shouldn't say that the people that are judging shows would be honest with you and actually that is what comes to their mind somebody not and real that, sharp that did that doesn't doesn't usually help place and that's a negative connotation from the very beginning and that is going to make the placing be worse. I think that the people that can do it and can do it brilliantly, I'm all for it. And the reason why is, is because Dale brought up like feeding is an art. That is also an art. And if you are good at it, why should you not be allowed to show your talents, show your skills and show your artistry? So again, I, I, I do not have a problem with fake hair, I think it can police itself the most because if you're bad at it, it's not going to help you. And if you're great at it, I appreciate the people that have that level of skill and knowledge to make it look like that, where you really are like, now did they or didn't they? Of course, but I'm the one that loves drag queen, so I should. So there you go. I'm Fake hair, I have no problem with it. I think it's fine. And again, I think the majority of it will work itself out. I I think I'm I'm very similar to where Ryan is, and and I I am very big proponent of making that hair still look like hair. And if you can do it really really well, and there's there's not as many out there that can do it as well as I want. I think we all need to be on the same playing field. If it's allowed, it's allowed. If it's not, it's not. It should be enforced. I don't care which way it goes. But if you're going to do it, just like Ryan mentioned, for me. It needs to look natural. It needs to at least resemble real hair because I put some value in into the time and effort that the the youth put into the barn, getting that hair trained and to grow and all those those extra hours that they're putting into getting that leg hair, that that hair coat just perfect, rather than maybe the the shorter period of time it takes to to put the fake hair on. So I'm a, I'm a little biased. Maybe I'm I'm good with it, and I really appreciate it when it's done really really well. But I also want it, if, if if it's allowed, everybody needs to do it. If it's not allowed, then nobody needs to do it. So I think we're kind of on the same page there, and it, and it will take care of itself when it's not done well. Mm. And then again, just like Dale was saying right there, and th- this, what I'm, my little statement right here is going to go with just more than fake hair. But as bad of a connotation as you get as a show judge when a bad twine jog comes in, you get that exact an opposite reaction when a great one comes in and you know, man, there's some really talented, very skilled people back in this animal right here. And not just the legs when that whole animal. Right. That, and yeah. Cause I mean, the whole presentation of it, you're like, people did their wow. homework on this one and it's a pause. You're like, this is a player right here. And exactly. same thing goes for in hogs. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I judge hog shows where skin and hair is probably one of the first thing you notice. And again, I don't bring it out on the mic every single time, but 
Skin and hair is something that you notice on every single animal. And if it's not right, you think, eh. And if it is perfect, you know, those people have been busting their no. butts. It's very, it's very simple and honest. It's the connotation that goes with it. It's for, and we all, we all experience it just like we talked about in some of the, the collegiate judging. It's from the moment you walk in that door until you walk back out the door. Not just what you're saying. It's everything. And, and that's, that's part of it. I think this parallels that. And, and Ryan brought up so well here, the skin and hair on, on a hog, when I'm sorting hogs, I'm not saying I'm going to place them on it, but it does hit you that, wow, this kid's done a great job. There's, there's somebody behind this project that gets it. Yep. And that lends a positive connotation. Amen. John Rollins has a question that, that a lot of people have right now. Do you think the Arizona National will happen? Uh, that's all you, boo. <laughs> I, I, can, I, I don't I know can. because I, I'm not in contact with Arizona. I mean, obviously, I love that show, and I hope that it holds uh, not just for them but for all the kids. And again, with Denver and Fort Worth dropping out already, that's would be a real pivotal one to hold. And there have been some replacement stuff pop up, and we'll continue no, and I, to. But I really, really, really do hope it holds. But to tell you that I have any factual knowledge whatsoever about the possibility of it, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I do because I don't. No. And John, I, I can't answer that question with a yes or no. I have, I, I do communicate with, with some of the, the staff at Arizona National and, and try to stay up on what's going on. And there's a lot of rumors that they're going to announce on this date or that date. I think it's a real simple fact that they, at this point, shows of that magnitude are submitting protocols to the health department or the governor's office. And then sometimes those protocols are going to be kicked back and they need to make adjustments or they have recommendations. Let's implement A, B, and C. And if you can do that and resubmit, then then we may give you approval to do the show or to hold the show. And I think Arizona's put every bit of effort into and probably done as good a job as any of communicating with the governor's office and the health department and doing everything possible to host a show. So I'm optimistic that they're going to get that pulled off, and I think we'll probably know here sooner than later. I do know they've put everything into it they possibly can. Now, remember, if they do hold a show and they are restricted because of what they had to adjust the protocol to, there may be things that aren't normal to show in terms of social distancing, wearing a mask, things that we don't enjoy doing, but you need to make that choice that if, if they are able to host a show and they come out with a protocol, I suggest that everybody reads that protocol. And if you're not willing to jump through the hurdles that are in place that they had to put there in order to have the show, we all talk about we'll do anything if the show can happen. Stop and think about that. It's easy to say, more difficult to get there and then implement while you were there and follow the protocol. Read the protocol, decide whether you want to partake in that. And if you choose to go, please do your best to follow that because there's been a lot of work and effort put into developing the protocol and, and getting this show to happen. So I can't answer it, John. I'm optimistic that they're doing everything physically possible to ensure they're going to have a show. Maybe by the time this drops, we'll know an absolute yes or no. Um, but they're darn sure planning the show to go on, so I have no reason to think any differently at this point. But I do think we'll know soon, and, and it's a good question. It's a question that's on a lot of the minds of, of many exhibitors out there, and, and I get it. Sydney Boston comes to us, Ryan, with a question that that we have addressed maybe again, and we're starting to hear we're starting to to address some of these things to a certain magnitude in earlier episodes, but not everybody hears every episode. Well, that's what just you, rude. It is. I, I'm I'm personally offended. 
But what junior college do you recommend for someone who would like to be on a competitive livestock judging team and be able to then transfer to a four-year I'm going to give this one to you, Ryan. I, I think that would be a great question for you. Well, thank you so much, Dale. Um, this is a real simple, real easy answer. There is no right answer until you go out and visit now them. That, and does, that does not help. She wants a college. <laughs> no. Give her a no, college. I'm not giving her a college because Come on. I, I don't know who this individual is or if it's their kid. The one thing that I can tell you is anybody can go and look up the results of these contests and know which ones are competitive and which ones are you know, up there in the rankings at each one, my advice is pick out the ones that you can make work financially or want to work with your child in terms of scholarships. Go visit them and have one-on-one interaction with that coach. I don't care about the other kids on there. I want that child that is worried about picking the best college. I want them to have one-on-one interaction with the coach or coaches so they can have that with all the ones that are in the running and they can pick the one that they gel and have the best vibes with. And I promise you, if you do that, that will do more to ensure your success than anything else. Excellent advice, Ryan, even though you didn't answer the question. A little bit like a Democrat. I am not a demon rat and I am not liberal and i don't have liberal <laughs> tendencies like you okay that but, is the truth I, and i do agree with ryan that that it's hard to say this specific junior college if you ask us go go pull up the results from the last three years which ones had the most success i think we can probably do that i, I don't know off the top of my head which one absolutely that's be, you can probably do that but that no. doesn't mean going to that one's going to make that child the most successful in that environment exactly and i want to address the transferability portion of it. i spent 20 years in a junior college system and in many of those years i was an ag transfer advisor And at this point, I'm going to reach out there and say 80% of the junior colleges out there have a core base uh, general education program that can transfer you into a four-year school as a junior, provided you take those classes and you get through those classes. I'm not saying some don't have a variation or have instead of one person teaching general chemistry, maybe they have four different faculty teaching it. So you can choose between those four, which is a huge advantage. But in general, if you follow their path work or their, their coursework that they recommend for transferring to a given school, for the most part, all of those schools are going to be able to transfer you. I'm not saying that some don't put as much emphasis on transferability or encourage you to take those classes or encourage you to get a passing grade in those classes. But mechanically, if you take on self-responsibility, the majority of the junior colleges out there, if you're disciplined and you put some effort out, you're going to transfer with a set of classes that that will not set you behind whatsoever going in as a junior. With that said, I I, I think it's a very important decision, and I think Ryan is is dead on what kind of bond you have with that coach, the feeling you get about that college. You you need to visit, you need to gather all that information you possibly can. But excellent, excellent question, Sydney. And with that, that concludes this week's topic. We we do have a big election coming up. I, I cannot encourage you if enough. If you have Please. not voted, go vote and vote for Trump now. <laughs> do it. That's that simple. We're not going to pretend that we're not biased. We're not going to pretend we don't want Trump to win. Just go vote. Grab your neighbor. Grab your friend. Grab a relative. Anybody that's remotely close to voting age or you can get a mail-in ballot for, just do it. Until then, be safe. Y'all come back now. You hear? You hear?